1967, bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. And the time is 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 Bangor. Stay tuned for Boat Talk. Good morning, good morning. It's uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on all oceans at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your Two rusty anchors here, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Mike Joyce and I are both old boat carpenters who uh, are especially good at installing overheads because it requires screwing up. That's a good one. You know, I am. I I tell people all the time. Um, uh, you know, I got I got to screw this up, and and they say, "Don't say that when you're working on my thing." <laughs> Valentine's Day edition of Boat Talk That's this morning. Right. I almost expected a Valentine's pun, Alan. Oh, yep. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, actually. I was, no, I, I was thinking when I drove... my heart in it. There you go. I was thinking when I drove over here, though, we, we talk about Boat Talk all the time. Uh, boats are dreams, you know, they're dream places. And I'm thinking boats and love have a lot in common that way. Ah. You know? Um, they reward special knowledge. You need special knowledge in that field. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the more attention you pay to detail, the better off you'll be. Yep. Um, you can't get away without maintenance. <laughs> Try to avoid going on the rocks. <laughs> you can't get away without paying attention to, uh, particular attention to navigating, you know. And uh, like, uh, like the boat thing, you can always be learning. And if you're not, you may suffer. And uh, boats and love, I think, also have in common that the amount that you put in, you, you get back out. You know, uh-huh. and let's face it, uh, all boat dreams don't come true. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, several couples who have taken off on their dream and actually uh, have gone on the rocks of various sorts. Sometimes it's uh, it's not what they think it's going to turn out to be, and. We also got to mention it's the uh, fundraising edition of Boat Talk this month that. Uh, we are uh, ah yes in fundraising mode as well. That wasn't the note they just handed you, though, was it? No, it was uh, our first caller that we're going to be calling Dick Baldwin. Educational passages is okay. Not available, but we'll keep trying. Speaking of fundraising, I was reading the uh, WERU uh, new inside newsletter the other day, the Family Funnies, and I see that the uh, Boat Talk Spring Cruise has already been scheduled. That's right. Yep. That was good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it, Alan. Well, Boat Talk Spring Cruise is going to happen on uh, January, uh, June, <laughs> June 23rd, the weekend before the 4th of July weekend. That's why I, uh, we usually have it on the last Saturday of the month, but that sort of ran in conflict with the 4th of July. So I checked with our, our friends at Sea Princess to see just what was good for them, and they said the 23rd would be a good day. And it will be. It's Always a good time. It's a Saturday. Um, We're going to be leaving from Northeast Harbor at 6 o'clock, return about 9. 
literally a three-hour cruise. The boat is uh, kind of covered over and has room for 60-odd people or 60, uh, you know, regular people for that matter. Uh, it's got a big engine box, and we make it a potluck. It's a BYOB. Kids are free, and we let them drive the boat. Um, you know, we spread out a, uh, a potluck on the engine box there and just cruise around the, the uh, great harbor of Mount Desert is what they call it, out of uh, uh, Southwest Harbor, Somme Sound, Northeast Harbor, maybe over to Seal Harbor and see Martha and the uh, Rockefellers and stuff. And, and uh, just always been a good time yep. and, a, and a supporter, uh, fundraising supporter for the radio station as well. Yeah. So it's like being on the bus. You you got to be cool. You got to be on the boat. So well, yeah, it's kind of more fun than being on a bus because you we do tend to get up and walk around and socialize with various people rather than being restricted to any one seat. Sea Princess is a smooth machine. Uh-huh. It's a smooth machine. If you have any fears of a. Uh, uh, you know, any kind of seasickness, uh, I hate to even mention it in this context, but, you know, and in an engine box full of food, uh, I don't believe, uh, we've never seen anybody with any issue whatsoever. Uh, sea Princess is a very nice ride, and we thank those folks for, you know, lending us about twice a year now. Uh, they enjoy it as well, so it's a uh, kind of win-win for everybody. Another important note. Yes, we do. We have a thank you already for, as you said, it was a pledge week this week, and we have a new business member renewal, Flaming Fish, Flaming Fish Models in Bass Harbor, our friend Captain Yo. Cool. Resigned up. Thank you, Yo. Thank you, Yo. Um, talking about, uh, you know, the whole boat talk thing, something else just came up, and it was in the paper the other day, the Bangor Daily News from last week, I think it was. It was... Uh, February 9th, last Thursday, and on the front uh, page of the main outdoor living section is our friend Thor Emery of Thorfinn Expeditions, and we talked to Thor and went sailing with him and helped him rig up his sailboat, the Presto 30. Yeah, pretty the, neat boat. Oh, it's uh, it was Cruising World's Boat of the Year. It's made right here in Bucksport by mm-hmm. uh, Ryder Boats, Union River Boat Company. And uh, so anyway, Thor is right into the boat. Um, he has taken off big into paddle boarding. And if you see some people off of Lincolnville Beach like today, okay, standing up on the water, <laughs> uh, calmly paddling, that'll be Thor. And uh, his new business partner, uh, his buddy is, uh, oh, Laughlin, Chris Laughlin. Um, paddleboarding is real big uh, everywhere else in the country and is just really starting to take off in Maine. And Thor is, uh, they're right into that. So he was uh, featured in the Bangor Daily News last week. But this come up in another context, too. You and I have been, you know, somehow our, our gig here has got us to be the master of ceremonies at the World Championship Boatyard Dog Trials uh, at the Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors show in Rockland, which is the, the uh, middle weekend in August every year. We've been doing it for a couple of years now. It's pretty good fun. It's kind of silly, a little embarrassing to, you know, get up there with the microphone and, and tease the dogs and stuff, but we do it, you know, and it's cool. So got a got an email from Thor. They're going to be in the show this year with the paddle boards, and they are going to have a paddleboard jousting event. <laughs> Not enough you just stand on it and paddle around, okay? No, they're going to have a paddleboard jousting event. 
Thor has asked if we will be the master ceremonies for that, Alan. And okay, as long so, as we don't have to get wet. <laughs> yeah, um, I've I've offered to get wet during the dog thing, but uh, no, uh, we we've, we've been uh, so. I guess we'll commit to that right now. We're already going to be there. Oh yeah, there are friends. Paddleboard jousting. Paddleboard jousting. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be just them, or you could, you know, you not not you and I will be have microphones that can't get wet. That'll be the good excuse, uh, oh, right, right? Right. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah no, microphone, microphone can't get wet. <laughs> but anyway, perhaps uh, you can enter the, I don't know who it's open to yet, uh, details to follow. Well, it sounds like poking fun, as it were. He's the punny one. We've got to mention as well that, um, um, and we, we haven't really got time to talk to him today. We're going to have two guests on the phone this morning, and uh, we'll tell you about them in a minute. But uh, the Friends of the Boat School have now taken over. They now own the boat school down in Eastport. We've been covering this for years. The place has been kind of struggling. Uh-huh. And uh, so this is how it's been resolved uh, to now. The, boat, the Friends of the Boat School now own the boat school. They have been given space by Perry Marine Corporation, who's building tide turbines down there. On, on, uh, so anyway, it's all kind of coming together. They're looking for students. That's the big message this morning. Um, they are uh, looking to fill next year's class at the boat school down in Eastport. Um, have an address here if you're into traditional forms of communication. Post Office Box 105, Eastport, Maine, 04631. That's the Friends of the Boat School. You could Google them as well, and I'm sorry I don't have the phone number mm-hmm. right handy. Didn't get a chance to talk to Brett Blanchard this morning when he called, but we thank him, and uh, again, we're... We're on it. We talked to uh, Dean Pike the month before last, mm-hmm. yes, about all this. Yep. Um, and there are several boatyards now who have started to hang out their uh, help wanted sign again. So if uh, you happen to be a student and are thinking about maybe a, a good career to go into, the boat school is a definite good step forward to take you into the boat building business. It's not just a trade. It can be an adventure. It, it, yes. Yep, is uh, how I like to look at it. So, again, the boat school has uh, is under new management as the people that care most about it and uh, the people who have been actually physically running it. And uh, it's not an easy gig. It has been in, in deficit territory for years now. And... Uh, Hopefully they can turn that around. They're looking for students, so that's the message this morning. Okay. Um, we, we have to mention before we go off on the phone here, we uh, have a couple people to talk to this morning. Uh, we're going to do Bob first. We're going to do Bob first? Yep. All right, then. Um, is he standing by right yep, now? he is. He's uh, being a good buoy. <laughs> <laughs> that's another pun that will come, uh, come, come yep. forward uh, pretty quickly. Bob, are you there on the phone? Yes, I am. Bob Curtis. Now, speaking of Thor Emery and the Presto 30 in Rockland, Maine, uh, we were down there rigging the thing up and taking pictures, and we wrote a piece about it on the BoatTalk.org website. And uh, so anyway, we're down on the Rockland waterfront, and here comes a fellow in a boat, and he's uh, pulling it out. And I went over to chat with him. It turned out to be my friend uh, Bob Curtis here. And we uh, hit it off pretty, pretty quick, but it turns out that Bob is famous. And Bob, um, Bob survived 27 hours on a bell buoy. In January. In the middle of nowhere in January 14th and 15th, uh, back about 20-odd uh, years ago in 1984. 1984. Yeah. 
So, Bob, let's let's start with a story here. Let's start at the beginning, man. Let's let's just uh, we'll tell it the easy way. Start at the beginning. You was born, and uh, but you were kind of born to be a fisherman. You've been a fisherman all your life, haven't you? Yes, raised right into it. Yep, had a lobster license for a little while. Yes, all my life since I was ten. Yep. So uh, I am licensed too. <laughs> back in 1984, you was a young fella. Yes. <laughs> About what? 25 years old. Yes. And uh, it's a January morning. The forecast is uh, uh, wind southwest uh, or northwest, doesn't matter. But anyway, 5 to 15, not too bad. Right. Seas 1 to 3. Yeah. yeah it's about, uh, you Full know, eight, for that time of year. It's about 8, 10 degrees, uh, right. which is kind of cold, but the tide's good. good. Weather. Yeah, the tide's good. <laughs> good for you. And uh, you're going clamming, and you're in Rockland. Yeah. You've got a small 15-foot uh, uh, outboard, outboard uh, boat. Yep. And you want to get over to the Fox Island thoroughfare. Right. So you take off, you're going to be having a day clamming. Right. Um, you also usually have a partner, don't you? Yes. But he's not there this morning. No, his pipe shows up. So you're off on your own. That's right. So we take off from Rockland. Nice morning. What You know. What, it appeared to be. Then what happened? <laughs> well, I ran into some sea smoke, which really ain't that uncommon in Rockland. So you know, I just referred to the compass, pretty much a east-west shot going across the bay. We got and to pass the breakwater there, and I run into some sea smoke. I know you're familiar with sea smoke. It, it just kind of hangs over the surface. You can't see around you, but you can look up and see the sky and stuff, but you can't really see where you're going. But I was cruising along. I see big waves coming. I thought maybe it was a ferry passing by. I slowed down a little bit. I figured I'd give them a little room because I couldn't see them yet. I got up on top of the first wave, and that was the small one. The rest of them was bigger than that. So I couldn't get turned around or anything, so I pretty much had to go with it. We got to uh, remind people, this is 1984. Yes. You're looking at a compass. Yes. We don't have a GPS. They haven't invented it yet. Right. At yeah. least I didn't have access to yeah. one. Just and a small boat. Yeah, and this will be kind of key, too, because knowing where you are is kind of big. And, and yes. when you get in the sea yes. smoke, it's kind of like the fog, except for different. Yes. And you can't see where you are. But now the water's kicked up, and again, um, you can't go where you want to in the boat. No, you can point the boat in the direction that you want to go, but when there's a storm like that, uh, it, it takes you off course. Even even though the boat is headed in the right direction, the bow stem is pointed towards your target. That doesn't mean that's necessarily where you're going because the wind and current, you know, pulled me way off course. Actually, I ended up uh, two miles south of Vinyl Haven, and I was headed for Fox Island Thoroughfare, which would be north of there. Yes. Yeah. So you didn't end up at all where you were where you were uh, wanting to go. So right. The Not boat is really. Actually, I didn't even realize where I was. I the I waddled through most of the waves there at first. You know that. At first, you know, there's six and eight footers, and they soon grew to twelve and fourteen footers, and I'm only in a fifteen foot boat. Snowing so pretty much in part, yeah, yeah. It, it just started, you know. It wasn't a full blown gale yet, but I was just coming in into the face of it because I didn't know because I couldn't see around me. But the skies above me there was getting pretty grim. And like I said, you know, it's like twelve and fourteen foot sea, so you're not going to get a fifteen foot boat turned around. So. Nope. I trudged on. I figured, you know, it's a normal trips like 45 minutes when you're cruising along. But, because I've lost lost a full head of steam, because if I go too fast, the bow dives under the water, and I'm taking in water over the bow. 
had a windshield on really is what saved it. The green water was coming over the deck and peeling off the sides. And if I slowed down too much, the backwash would come in over the outboard. So it mm. didn't take too long to get a, enough water in it where you couldn't make any progress. So I trudged along, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes to an hour thinking that I should be able to see land here pretty quick. And I see that uh, buoy. I wasn't even familiar with which buoy it was, actually, but I was pretty happy to see it. I had coffee and food aboard you know, the boat, so I figured, well, I'll just tie the boat to this buoy. That buoy's going to be there through the duration, and it'll break the sea from hitting the small boat. And I figured I could just ride it out. Like I said, I had coffee and, and uh, food in the boat. So I pulled up to the buoy because it was ice-encrusted and stuff and wasn't real easy to grab onto. But I grabbed onto it, and the next wave, you know, we're talking, oh, eight, ten-foot wave still, and I'm not that tall. I grabbed the buoy, and, and the wave dropped, and I hooked it with my feet on the rail, but, I mean, there was no holding on to it. You know, it so the boat got away from me, and I'm dangling off the side of the buoy. I had my hip boots on. They filled, so yeah. a little struggle. I got up onto the buoy and rolled the boots down. And that's bobbing and weaving around. I got them dumped out. And the whole time I figured, you know, somebody will be here any minute now, any minute. Huh. What you, time of the day was this when, was when you first got probably on? Probably around 10.30, quarter of 11. Uh-huh. Now, um, you get on, you've grabbed onto the buoy, the boat's disappeared out from under Right, uh, I mean, two waves later it was out of sight. Yeah, but for a minute there, it's only for a couple a minute, feet I away. I to grab the boat, you know, but I, like I said, I had on my hip boots, and, and they were, one was full of water, and the other one was partially full. So, I mean, I really didn't dare to let go of the buoy once I got a haul of it. You can't swim for the boat? Not with those boots on. No. no. And uh, so, Bob, i got to ask you, what are you thinking? Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thinking they'll be there any time. You know, Who? Well, the Coast Guard or any other boat. I, right, right then, I still didn't realize what I was in for because it was a squall. I mean, even the weather forecast hadn't predicted it. I'd seen them before, but not to that extent and not that time of year. And we so I was aware, you know, it might blow itself out here in a few minutes, and yeah. then the fog might clear. So I wasn't that concerned other than being a little on the chill side, you know. I figured, you know, I, I could wait it out. And we can't we can't underestimate here, you don't know exactly what buoy you're on. It's no, got a big no, number two on it. It's a red and white, I guess. It's the Bay Ledge buoy, and it's about, yeah. uh, oh, four or five uh, miles about dead south of Carver's Harbor. Right. And uh, from the way you were drifting there, uh, where you were trying to go on the Fox Island thoroughfare is uh, more than a couple miles north yes, of there. Yeah, it's probably more like six or eight miles off course. Yeah. But you're... like I said, even though I was pointing the boat east, uh, I'm going north. Yeah. I'm going north faster than I'm going east. And that's what happened. But this not being where exactly you expect to be no, will, will come back as well to here. See it, to be honest with you, because it was obvious the boat wasn't going to make it. You know, the boat was already half submerged. Yeah. In fact, I could uh, throw out a lap, and water was that was in the boat would uh, surge back and go over the stern. But by then, the bow would be going down into the next one. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the windshield was peeling off most of the green water, but. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was still taking on water. No uh, no bilge pump on this boat? Uh, no, we're talking just a you know, runabout skiff. Yeah. I uh, actually brought in the chart kit this morning to show Alan where this uh, buoy was, and, and we look at the direction where you must have been headed uh, when you fetched up on that buoy and, and project 
further that way, um, you might have been lucky to run into the Matinicus, ragged, uh, wooden ball islands kind of kind of. If the boat had stayed afloat, if it stayed afloat, and you was lucky, and they weren't right. close either. You know, well, so, actually, I'd tell people if I was lucky, it wouldn't have happened. But. Yeah, <laughs> but between uh, that buoy and, and and quite a ways, uh, you know, that buoy was a good thing you grabbed onto that, yes, really. Cause, yes. So anyway, we jump up on the buoy. It's covered with ice. You're right, wet. Right. It's well, January. It's 10 it. degrees, and it's snowing. Yeah. Yeah. Now what are we going to do? Well, I, I uh, knew I had to keep warm by all means. So, like I said, I, I rolled down my boots and uh, pulled them off and got the water out of them. I don't know if you're real familiar with them buoys the way they're designed, but there's like little triangle platforms on them. Yeah. And on two sides of it, there's a little uh, steel rod that goes across the platform. So I could sit on the platform and I wrap my arm around the steel beam so it wouldn't fall out of it. Because it's bobbing and weaving, you know, pretty bad. Like a, there's like a sea rock. running, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I uh, tried to make myself as comfortable as I could and I, I tucked myself in a corner of the buoy, and then I, I sacrificed my hood that I had on, and I put that across me, almost like a little door, and I pulled my knees up under my clothes, and uh, just huddled there, and after a while I got thinking, oh, geez, you know, maybe maybe I can burn some of these boots and get some heat, because I knew I was going to have to dry off, because it, it weren't going to be warming up. So, in between the uh, waves here, I started... Uh, trying to tear off booze, but my fingers and stuff was pretty numb at that point, but I could take both hands and get a hold of a big piece of it, and then I'd take my teeth in and, and yank on it. And once you got them started, it wasn't quite so bad, and I tore off a couple little strips at first. And uh, I, like I said, I basically made a tent out of my clothes. I put my knees up under all of my clothes and pulled them down over everything. Then with my left hand, I was holding the rubber, and my right hand was wrapped around the steel rod. And that's that's the way I lit the rubber. It didn't, you know, burst into flame or anything, but you'd see it like an orange flame on the rubber. Then I'd have to close my eyes and hold my breath, and it would smolder for a while. So, you know, but it was heat. So uh, I started getting dried off, you know, af- after a while. And... Uh, Long towards dark there, I had gotten pretty well dry, but um, a little after dark there, I got thinking, geez, I'm probably going to be stuck here overnight. So about 10 o'clock that night, I, you know, there's still a lot of roar. You can hear the sea splash and the, bo- the buoy still bobbing and weaving around, but I, I heard this noise. It, uh, so I, you know, I looked out of my little makeshift door that I had on the side of the buoy there to break the wind and see. And I see this bright light in the sky shining down at me. And, I mean, I was sure I saw it. I was a little concerned that I might be starting to hallucinate and stuff, but I know I saw this bright light. So I got thinking then, you know, it must be a helicopter, you know. Even though I couldn't hear it, it must be a helicopter, and they'll be here any minute. So that's what I continued to think all night. Now, your buddy, who had to stay home and thaw the pipes uh, frozen in, in the house there, uh, he did... Uh, not hear from you, and, and he called the Coast Guard. Right. People but, knew but that he you... He didn't would... call call it in until late that afternoon, because at the time I was renting a place out there, and I, my plan was to go out there with my supplies and spend a couple of days out there and dig a couple of tides and then come back on the ferry. That was good, just going to be like a one-time crossing for the boat. That's why I picked a good day, at least I thought. 
Yeah. yeah. And I was going to leave the boat out there, and then I was just going to take the ferry back and forth the rest of the winter. You were alone, but somebody did know you were missing, and yes. again, they were alerted. And you had some hope that, that uh, people would come looking for you. Yes. And hope's a big thing, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yes. Well, like I keep saying, uh, I figured they'd be there at any minute now. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that's what kept me going, you know, just knowing that they'd be there any minute. And you got some, you definitely, uh, you know, you light a fire, you got some cheer there, but that those boots actually did provide heat for you as yes. well as... Yes, enough, you know, so I could dry out. Because when I first got on the buoy, I, I was wet from the chest down. And and during the night, I had dried my clothes somewhat. Uh, at the t- around 10 or 10.20 that night, when I saw that light, I tried to, you know, wave out at, at them, you know, and, and make myself bigger so they could see me because I was kind of tucked in on the side of the shelf. Yell at a helicopter. I, I tried to wave, and I was stuck to the buoy. My butt was actually stuck to the buoy, and I, I actually felt the uh, cloth, you know, pull skin off. You know, it didn't hurt or anything, but, I mean, I, I was pretty, uh, I was cer- certain what was happening. Then after that, I sacrificed a down vest that I had. I ended up sitting on that afterwards. But then, anyways, the light went out. It went on for a few hours, and it gave me time to think of, what that light actually was, because like I said, I didn't hear it. And I'm beginning to wonder if I saw the light. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then uh, I got through the night, long towards the early wee hours of the morning was probably the toughest part of it. You know, wondering whether, you know, because I figured out if I slid off the buoy and into the water, you know, I'd just go into shock and it wouldn't be painful. I didn't think I'd be able to take another day. And by the time it did turn daylight, I mean, I could see my hands were all swollen and stuff. And by then, my hips, and you know, I don't know if you've ever had frostbite or not, but it's pretty evil stuff. Yeah. Your fingers get cold, and then they hurt, and they, they burn, and then after a while, they'll go numb. But after they've turned numb, now that same pain is creeping up into your wrist and up your arm. So you're going through that stage, you know, and you can feel it you know, pretty much consuming you. Like I said, I, I, I could feel it in my hips and everything by morning. So uh, I wasn't in very good shape, you know, as far as healthy. <laughs> we've already got enough to contend with without right. some severe pain as well. But you got to go back to what you're thinking, Bob. It takes a long time for the sun to come up at sea. Yes, it does. Yep. That, was the, that was the longest time of the whole thing, waiting for daylight. Yeah. And then daylight, I mean, the storm cleared just as soon as dawn broke. I mean, it was beautiful out. It was clear, you know, I, I started moving around to see if everything still worked, and it did. Everything was kind of stiff and hurt and numb. But, I mean, my legs and arms and fingers was all working, although they didn't look that great. So I started exploring the buoy and trying to get a little exercise, you know, and get warmed up. And uh, I even see this duck that had swam right up close to the buoy. And I'm still kind of questioning my judgment, you know, from here, here and there, wondering whether I'm still okay, whether I'm still sane and everything. So... I weren't positive this duck was there, so I growled at him and threw my arms in the air. And he couldn't take off fast enough. He crapped, dropped a couple feathers, and he was out of there. And I actually laughed. I said, no, that's for real. It's all about what's happening. There a little more, and on the other side of the compartment that I was sitting on, I found a bird skeleton. <laughs> and that was pretty eerie. And uh, like I said, the fog had lifted. It was a beautiful day out. I could see land, but I still really wasn't exactly sure where I was. So mm. 
I, you know, the, once the weather got good, then I could burn the strips there a little more, and that finish got drying off. No. I'm sorry for interrupting you there, but it's all about what's in your head, you know. I've uh, been in a couple of, of situations where you look around and you say, we're going to die tonight, and you go, yeah, probably not. But other people look around and they go, yeah, I think we're going to die tonight, and I've seen people quit. Right. You know. Well, I, I know panic is a bad thing. I've been around other people when, when they panic, and, they, and, and I think that panic kills, you know, and, and everybody don't have... Uh, 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 control over it, and I think that there's one of the fortunate things that happened that I didn't panic, so I, I still thought clear through the whole process. Well, you had something to do as well. I mean, it's bad enough just to endure. Uh, you got to do some enduring there. You got to, you just got to kill some time. But, but to make a fire, to make a shelter. I mean, you tied yourself in with your belt. I mean, right. You, you know, you're exercise. You're running around the buoy. Uh, you know, you're messing with ducks, you're doing things. Right. Keeping active. Right. And uh, i tell you what, though, I've tried to imagine this, too. I would have been pissed when, when uh, that boat disappeared. I would have been quite mad at myself. I was, you know? I, I was a little disappointed, but like I said, I don't <laughs> think the boat would have made it much further anyways. Yeah. The weird thing is they never found the boat. So Never so, found the boat. Yeah, if I stayed wondered. with the boat, they probably wouldn't have found me neither. Yeah. Wow. So, here we are. Uh, dawn has come. We don't have a cup of coffee. Uh, we still got the Bic lighter and, and the gum boots and stuff, but, uh, you know, there's still nobody in sight, Bob. It's a, be- I love the- it's a beautiful day. Beautiful I mean, day. You know, you so- know, the, I started uh, accessing the extent of my injuries. You know, like I said, my hands there were swelling up, and fingernails were turning black. And, uh, like I said, it's a beautiful day, and I kept watching the horizon. I, I see planes up in the air so far, you know, they, they couldn't see me. And then finally, after a while, around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I seen a big boat there on the horizon. It looked like they was headed towards me, but, I mean, they was miles away. So I stood up on top of the buoy there, waving my arms. And, and sure enough, that big boat, you know, started to turn and started coming towards the buoy. So so you, you climbed up on top of the, the buoy rig? The, at, that, you know. at that point, I did. You know, I wanted them to be able to see me. I was waving my vest and stuff, but... Of course, through the night, you know, burning that rubber, my face was just as black as the rubber boots. And as it turned out, that kind of helped save my skin from freezing and stuff. Huh. But these young fellows on the Coast Guard boat, you know, they didn't really know quite what to do with me by the time they pulled up. It was a point handing that pulled up. And, you know, they had their young fellows on deck, you know, and, and they thought they were just looking at a dead man. They told me afterwards, you know, you didn't even look human, you weren't moving, you know, and they didn't know what to do with me, basically. And I'm cheerful. I mean, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy anyways, and I'm pretty happy to see these guys. So yeah. I'm raising heck with them, cracking yeah, jokes huh. and stuff. Give me a cup of coffee, you know, could you? Dance, you know? Coffee, you know, sandwich. And they didn't know what to do with me. They're standing on the boat there with gaffs and stuff. So I'm telling them, you know, geez, don't be hooking me with those gaffs. <laughs> you pull right over here, and I'll come right aboard. So, uh, so now. The time where you're on the buoy, the Coast Guard has been out watching. They've launched jets. They've launched helicopters. They've launched multiple boats. Point Hannon was, uh, turns out to be my friend Will Bodie. He was the, used to be the Northeast Harbor Harbor Master. Is that he, right? He was the skipper of that boat that morning. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. All world, is it? It's all, all connected, man. Oh, it was a nice crew. You know, they took yeah. great care of me. They wrapped me up in blankets, you know, and I talked with them. Then they realized, you know, I was fine, you know, other than that soot there from my boots. 
Coast Guard had had their own problems, though. One of the boats come out of Rockland, had to turn around. The radar wasn't working. They went back. That delayed things. Right. They were also hoping to find the idea that you might have snagged a buoy and tied your boat to it was present in people's minds. But they were looking for a buoy with a boat on it. Right. Not a big bird-like thing, you know. Well, actually, I'm getting ahead of the story. uh, Once I got on the point hand, and they they first assessed me that, you know, I was critical pretty much you know they didn't they didn't even dare to touch me thinking the flesh was just going to come off because it was all black and i'm trying to confirm you know hey i'm fine i just need a coffee and a sandwich would be good and anyway they said that there was going to be airlifting me off the boat with a helicopter well back when i was younger i was down in virginia there watching the navy and the drug kids here do their thing and i was always fantasizing about trying that so sure enough, you know, I'm on the point hand, and the helicopter comes and drops the basket, and I'm more than anxious to get in the basket and go for that ride. <laughs> they lifted me aboard the helicopter, you know, and I'm looking down. I asked them then if we could watch for my boat on the way to Bangor, but of course we didn't see it. Like yeah. It's never been found. And again, you not only survived, you had a bit of an adventure. Yes. But you yes. survived because... Because uh, you... your head. Because, you, you know, your head was right, and, and you took care of yourself. You did things to help yourself, is, is my opinion. And that's, that's big. Uh, you know, you done good in a bad situation. Right. Yeah. Well, that's about all you can do, though, is make the best of a bad situation. How were you after I that? I usually try to stay optimistic about everything. Mm-hmm. How were you after that physically? Uh, fine, you know, my, my hands was pretty tender because I lost my fingernails and I lost seven toenails, but uh, it takes, you know, a few months to get your fingernails back. The flesh on, on, on my hands, because there's callus from digging clams and stuff for years, and it, when when they swelled up and, and peeled, you know, a few weeks later, it was almost like taking off a pair of gloves. Like huh. uh, when my thumb peeled, the thumbnail and all came right off with it all in one piece. You could actually look at it. I know it sounds probably gross, but I mean, you could actually see the veins in there that had frozen and busted. It was it was like oh. plumbing pipes freezing and busting. You could actually see it. It was pretty weird. Mm. And so are after you... that, my hands was really tender for quite yeah, a while. Yeah, I was going to say it must have been hard clamming after that for a while. Well, see, it was still in the winter, and I, I ended up having to take the rest of the winter off. I didn't have a choice, but. But, uh, I mean, they're fine now. You can look at them. You'd never know anything ever happened to them. They don't get cold easily now, either? Well, they do, but yeah. they get numb yeah. a lot quicker than what they used to be. Yep. So yeah. I uh, just yeah. have to be careful of it because I know when they're numb, they're cold, and I'll how, only let them hang out that way for so long. your ears? Them out, but it's still painful to thaw them out. Yeah, you, know, you don't get away with them for free. Out. It yeah. is freezing them now. Yeah. Ears, Alan was asking? Yeah. How about your head? That freeze? My head? Yeah. Your, your ears? Uh, no. You had a oh, hat I on? had a wool hat on, oh. you know, pulled down over that. And like I said, I, I was only wet from, you know, a little above the belly button down. Mm. You were 27 hours, more or less. 27 and a half, actually. Yeah, well, who's, who's counting the minutes? But yeah. <laughs> a half hour is a long time. Yes, it is. <laughs> Oh man! And again, uh, I was so so uh, tickled to run into you, and and because uh, I tell people that, and they go, "I've heard of that." Yeah, you know. Oh, a lot I've, of people I've remember that. Mean rumors there. People say, "Oh, he was out there trying to steal a bell." Well, how do you steal <laughs> a bell off a whistle buoy? You know, do your research. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, you know, it is what it is. 
Well, Bob, you've had a lobster license since you was 10. You've been clamming even before that. Uh, you yes. s- you're still out there fishing nowadays, yes, in aren't fact, you? I just got a bigger boat there for lobster, and I think I'll probably stick with that. I'm getting old there to do the clamming scene there, especially this time of year. The cold bothers me. So. we got to brag you up a little bit. You've got a nice boat. Tell us about it. I do. It's a Robert Rich boat. It's, it's an older one, but yeah. it's 44 foot. She's 14 wide. She's got a 671 Detroit with 6,000 hours on it. 509 twin desk. It's like working on the wharf all day now. <laughs> nice. And you, you lobster out of Rockland. What do you call the boat? Uh, sea Dog. Sea Dog. Yeah, yeah, good that's one. That's her original name. I didn't have the hat to change it. Oh, works already, man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's good. You'll be out fi- and you're not fishing this season. Uh, I, I will be, but uh, I haul out winters. Yeah. I've had enough of that. Yeah, you're uh, like uh, say that that was a uh, there. I'll be down there doing gear work. I'm going to try to get it done before black fly season this year. Yeah, that was almost 20 years ago. That night on the buoy yeah. now, so it's been a while. Yeah, we do age. You told me um, uh, something else I'd, I'd like you to share too. Uh, you run into a school of tuna. Yes, when I bought Sea Dog, I Off bought of, it. Uh, it was up in uh, Saco River when I bought it. And it was yeah. a nine and a half hour steam to bring it back. I come out around Portland Light. And uh, first thing in the morning, just coming daylight, and there's a bunch of tuna boats. Of course, they went racing right by me because my, I ain't got no speedboat. And uh, they all had their tuna gear and stuff on. Anyways, they all went straight across the bay there, wherever they was going. I come out by the light, and I hung a left coming down the coast to come back to Auckland. I got down by Cape Elizabeth, and there was acres of fish. At first, I thought it was beaching out. I didn't know the water that well. I'm looking at the chart plotters and stuff, and... And bottom machine, they things tell me I got plenty of water. And all of a sudden, on the bottom machine, it looked like this big hump coming up, like a ledge. And it startled me enough, so I backed off the throttle. And at that point, I'm seeing like white water all around me, like waters crashing on ledges. Mm-hmm. And at about the same time, these tuna started boiling out of the water. I mean, four, five, six hundred pound fish flying out of the water. They was in a feeding frenzy. And I'd never seen nothing like that in my life. I couldn't get one in the boat. Uh, only if they had jumped in, I was just so shell-shocked from seeing them. I mean, I had camera there and everything, you know, and I, I didn't even take pictures. It was it was an incredible, it was like something you'd see on TV. And again, the the uh, water is frothing up and there's birds everywhere, too. Yeah, the birds are excited as well. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool. Yes, I've never seen nothing like it. Yeah, and again... Well, um, you know, you talk about how beautiful it was out there on the frozen bell. Um, we work in a, you work in a postcard, man, and you appreciate it, too, don't you? Yes. yes. And you get to see some neat things out yes. there on the ocean. Yes, almost every day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you talk about, uh, oh, what do they call them, uh, you know, ecologists, uh, you know, uh, the the whole earth. Uh, friend. You, you can't be... A fisherman all your life and not be fascinated and and friendly to you know the your surroundings the surroundings there, right yeah. right no i respect it i mean it isn't that i don't i mean i know lots that don't pay the pay the price but i've always respected it i mean you, even after i mean it didn't do anything wrong and you know, it's just one of those things, you know, if you fish long enough, you're going to have, I, I mean, it, I can list a bunch of fishermen friends that's had similar close calls, you know, some of them's missing limbs, and you know, it's a hard life. Well, I think the government will tell you it's one of the most dangerous, uh, you know, it's right up there with coal mining, and, and, uh... On the other hand, it's addictive, too, you know, I yeah. mean, once you've done it, you're out there, you're your own boss, 
come and go as you please, which really gives you more inspiration to do a little better, you know. Doesn't seem dangerous moment to moment, but again, uh, you get the little things wrong and you get your ass handed right back to you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Bob, good to know you, man. Yes, well, hopefully that we hook up there to someone there. I really like to have you check out that big boat. Oh, uh, we're going for boat ride Maybe for sure, Bob. Maybe fish. Yeah, we're going for a boat ride for sure. Yeah. No doubt about that. We'll be in touch. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if you're interested in this story, you can Google it on the computer. Uh, there is a... Uh, uh, where's the good one here? Uh, you got it over there, Alan, the, the other article there. I've got a mess of paperwork here, but uh, one of them's called Rescued by a Buoy, and... Uh, uh, I forget what the other story is. I can't... Uh... Yeah, the Reader's Digest was probably the best uh, story, the most accurate. That was in May of 85. Uh, I thought, oh, here it is right here. I thought the one in uh, uh, Yankee Magazine was pretty good. Yes, that, that was actually the prob- probably yeah. equal to the Reader's Digest. A guy named uh, Don Snyder and... Uh, Ordeal on Bay Ledge Buoy, it's called, Yankee, yeah. Yankee Magazine, and, and you can uh, Google that and read all about uh, Bob's time out there. And uh, best of luck to you, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. It's nice talking to you. Good talking yeah. to you, and uh, don't do it again. Well, I'm, I'm going to try and know, but there is a vacancy out there. You know anybody that's interested? In being a buoy tender, you mean? <laughs> a buoy tender, yeah. Um, I've done my job. Yeah. Cannot imagine. Cannot yeah. imagine. Uh, good to talk to you this morning, okay. Bob. We'll be yeah. in touch. Thank, Thank you, Bob. Yeah, you Thank too. you. You're listening to Boat Talk on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill. And we are in the midst of our fundraiser right now. I'd like to quickly thank some uh, marine-related business members who are supporting Community Radio. There's Flaming Fish Performance Models in Bass Harbor, Coast Island Sailing Charters in Belfast, Ann Brayton Boat Cushions and Canvas in Brooklyn. Nathaniel S. Wilson, sailmaker in East Booth Bay. Maine Coast Sea Vegetables in Franklin. Deep Green Aquamarine in Mount Desert. Rockport Marine in Rockport. Uh, Greg Russell Boat Carpentry in Troy. And Marine Models in Union. And we also have... Uh, Five marine-related underwriters, too, are helping support Community Radio. Thank you to Atlantic Challenge in Rockland, Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers in Camden, Maine Boats Homes and Harbors in Rockland, Redfern Boat Company in Lemoyne, and Windward Passage in Brooklyn. These people are all supporting Community Radio, and you can do, too, by calling um, 1-866-625-9378 and give us a call. We'll sign you up and make you a member of the family. The Maine Marine Trade Organization is called Maine Built Boats. Estimates that there are 5,000-plus people in the marine industries in the state of Maine, and they bring in uh, maybe $600, $700 million or so. So it is, it, it's big down here. It's good for Maine. And that's not even talking people <laughs> like Bob that are out fishing. Yep. You know, that's just the, uh, that's just the building and... and uh, nope. That side of it. We have one other subject to go to. One we've talked about before is the uh, high schools in the area have uh, been uh, building five-foot-long sailing models. I guess we'll have to call them models, little small sailboats with a a sail on the front of them and a little keel skeg on the back end so that they're made to uh, sail downwind. And there were several of them launched last year down in the Caribbean, supposedly to uh, catch the 
the uh, Gulf Stream and sail all the way over to Europe. You left out one part of the rig. They got a GPS tr- right. transponder on them. Right, That's so the, you can be tracked by uh, any yeah. computer anywhere. And uh, this is all this project was started pretty much by uh, uh, Dick Baldwin of Educational Passages, and I believe he's on the phone right now. Good morning, Dick. Are you there? Yes, I am. Well, thank you for joining Boat Talk. Absolutely. Welcome back, Dick. We've talked to you before about this. Thank you. Glad to be back. Yeah, but you've uh, you've had some more boats come ashore, haven't you? Uh, tell us where they where they started and where they went. Yeah, so far we've launched sixteen boats, and seven more are going out this year. But you know, a couple there were a couple really unusual passages. But we do have one that came ashore in Portland about Christmas time, or no, Portugal. Excuse Portugal. me. <laughs> yeah, another P town. Yeah, last year one of the more interesting boats. You know, we released uh, northeast of Puerto Rico, uh, a couple hundred miles. And that ended up on the southeastern coast of Panama. And it went way up a cove, and it stayed there for a while. And I guess there's nothing but native tribes down there, and they're still in dugout canoes, no roads, no electricity. And that boat moved around quite a bit and, you know, possibly was, I think it was taken from tribal village to tribal village. (laughs) The GPS doesn't care whether it's a float by itself drifting or in somebody's dugout canoe uh, or in somebody's hut, does it? No. It's got to be kept somewhat upright. It yeah. can lie on its side, you know, with the keel and whatnot. And, you know, it's it's okay if it's on its side somewhat. About 60 degrees, it's got to be at least to the sky. Yeah. So that one, to my way of thinking, things usually move kind of eastwards on this planet because it spins in that direction, but the, these went west in the Caribbean. Yeah, it was unusual. I think in the summertime, you know, the winds are much more predictable. And that was supposed to be a race to Europe, but boats ended up in Panama, Bahamas, Cuba, and I don't know, I forget where the other one went. We've got Panama, yeah. we've got a little uh, a little unsinkable boat with a sail on it. Now it's it's uh, going to be, I would think, um, under the influence of the wind, but also current. Uh, what do you think is more important about where it goes? Well, uh, they take off really well, you know, going three or four miles an hour when they're first launched. But after a few days, they slow down, and we've been having some trouble trouble we think with the rig and every year we change the rig we used to use a three and a half inch stainless steel pipe and we thought that'd be plenty strong but we found one of them with a mass bent over to 90 degrees and you know when they come ashore they don't always have their rig Uh, and i don't know if when the boat tumbles on the shore it loses its mast or what but we're on a now we're using a one inch fiberglass pipe and i think i think they're going to stay up this time huh this is a solid, solid glass pipe. Yes. Yeah. Yep. From the Bangor Daily News, uh, January 26, here's a picture of a boat. It's a 26-foot boat, and three years ago, two fellows were off of Nantucket, and seas come up, yep. sort of like they happened to our friend Bob Curtis we just talked to there, and uh, they got tossed out of the boat. They ended up, fortunately, swimming two miles back to land. They saved Whoa. themselves. But the boat was just found three years later. 4,000 miles away in Spain. Yes. Still with the outboards on the back. No kidding. It's a little barnacled up and kind of rough looking. I bet. Yeah. 
And uh, it went, uh, they figured that it got into the uh, Gulf Stream and the North Atlantic Current sure. would have accounted for how that boat took three years and went to Spain. Yeah. Now, ours take, you know, eight or nine months probably to get across. And so I guess the wind is having, you know, some pretty good influence on it. I thought the wind would do about, you know, two to three times as much as the current. But like I say, we've had trouble with our rigs, and I think we'll know a lot more this year. You get school kids involved in this. How do they, how do they interact with boats? Uh, you know, really quite well. The vocational school is making them in Midcoast, Maine, and Rockland, Region 8 Vocational School. So they mold the boats. We've got a mold, and they're molding the hulls. And the young kids, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, they learn geography and the roots of the old sea explorers. These boats, since they only go downwind and with the currents, go a lot like the sea explorers did. We've released three off of Portugal, and they all end up in the Caribbean. Uh, so the small kids get into it, map reading skills. Uh, the middle school kids, I think, take to it the most. They're really pretty excited. and We go to Castine and spend a day at the Maine Maritime Academy and present their little boats to the captain. And we put them aboard ship, and they get to tour the ship and see, go in the ship simulator and have lunch at the academy and maybe meet with admissions if they want. You, surprisingly enough, or I guess not in the age we're living in and how kids are nowadays, you never even said the word computer, but anybody with a computer can follow these boats, and that's how the kids do it as well, right? They sure can. Yeah. How do we, uh, how do, what's, what's the contact uh, okay. to this project here, Dick? Yes, you want to go to www.iboattrack. That's all one word. Uh, the I and then B-O-A-T-T-R-A-C-K dot com. And then, you know, the homepage will come up, and on the right-hand side, you'll see educational passages hyphen mapper. So you click on that, and you'll see, you know, it'll ask you what vessel you want to see. And right now we have one about 500 miles off of Portugal. It was released off of Cape Hatteras. And that boat name is Durogo Dinghy from Dur the Winter Port. Durogo yeah, okay. Reed's Brook School has put that one out. Mm -hmm. Nice. Is the, uh, the one that went to Panama, I guess that was from uh, MDI High School? That uh, MDI Sailing Center. Center yeah, okay. Uh, is that still transponding, or is it? Uh, no. We do have another one. The one in Portugal is still transponding. Mm -hmm. You've had others, for instance, a fellow is walking the beach in Newfoundland, he finds one in the bushes, you know, that sort of thing. Yes, we've yeah. done that. Yeah, they do get around. So yep. you have uh, another set uh, going to be launched this year? Yes, we have seven more, uh, and it's kind of exciting. We're going to launch two with NOAA, and as you might know, they tag the individual salmon up in Vizi and Bangor when they let them go. They implant ultrasound little transmitters, I guess. And we're going to put uh, receivers on the keels of these boats, on two of them. And we're going to let them go in the Gulf of Maine. And whenever a baby salmon, a small, swims within half a mile of the boat, it'll record it. Huh. So we know exactly pretty much where the salmon go when they leave Vizi and go down the bay. They have gates so we can monitor them as they go out the bay. Noah does. And, but once they get out in the Gulf of Maine, not quite so sure. They usually end up in Greenland, but not sure of the route. Got a good idea. 
So they're going to release two boats off of Nova Scotia to try to learn more about their roots. Talking to different people, we've been surprised, uh, different people trying to tag whales, yep. puffins, yep. among uh, and, you know, it's harder than you think to figure out. And nobody ever knew where the whales or puffins went yep. at this time of, of the world. We still haven't figured that out. And, again, it's not that easy to attach a GPS transmitter to a puffin. Right. Just for example, it messes up his uh, center of gravity. And, and, and again, uh, what a miracle uh, age we live in, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it sure is. So good taking advantage of it, Dick. Yes. Yeah. Educational passages. Yep. Is, yep. That, is the educational passage is the uh, best way for uh, any student who might be interested in uh, having his school participate? The best. Uh, you know, you might want to contact me at dick at educationalpassages.com. Okay. That's probably the best way. Mm-hmm. We have a website, but it's really rough, uh, kind of put together by students, and we're always working on it. But we do have a website that's www.educationalpassages.com. Mm-hmm. Dick, we thank you once again for coming back and and hanging out on Boat Talk with us. My pleasure. All right. Good morning. Okay. Thank Thank you. you. Yep. Bye. We are doing Boat Talk this morning. It's the fundraising edition. Uh, Boy, we've been just a little overbooked this morning, so we haven't taken any phone calls. It is 1-866-625-9378. we got about five-odd more minutes. So. And we have another thank you, too. Yeah. Uh, Millie and Ralph from Stockton Springs have called up and renewed you, renewed their uh, membership in community radio. Thank you very much, Millie and Ralph. Now, uh, Dick Baldwin had been on Boat Talk before, and we talked about this, but I noticed also from the Bangor Daily News, the February 2nd edition, front page. It is a shipwreck found story with treasure on it, and this fellow's been on Boat Talk, too. And it is Greg Brooks from... Uh, He's the founder of Subsea Research, and Alan interviewed him a couple of years back. They found an Israeli submarine that was lost on its delivery to Israel mm-hmm. and has been the subject of a lot of wondering in Israel. Uh, big, uh, you know, dastardly plots were, were imagined, and, and what happened? They found it, okay? And, and uh, we had uh, Greg Brooks on, on uh, Boat Talk a couple of years back about this submarine. Well... He has been looking for treasure around the world. That's, that's what he does. He's, he knows a lot about undersea and undersea navigating and stuff. Um, they have found a boat called the Port Nicholson off of Cape Cod. Wouldn't say exactly where, but oh, yeah. the Port Nicholson was, was uh, torpedoed in 1942. It was part of a very unusual convoy that was very light on freight vessels but very heavy on escorts. And not a lot was known about this convoy. Well, what is thought was the Port Nicholson was full of platinum bars that Russia and Britain, uh, I may have that, uh, anyway, were coming to America to pay for the war. Okay, a a, uh, transfer of of, uh, funds there in uh, ingot form. And they believe they have found that in 700 feet of water somewhere the other side of Cape Cod, mm-hmm. they estimate it to be about $3 billion, billion worth of platinum bars. Boy. They hope to start bringing them up later this month. Greg was about broke. They had put $6 million into looking for, for uh, various wrecks and stuff, and they were just about out of money. cost $10,000 just to get out to, to the wreck site for fuel and stuff without 
expenses, okay, mm-hmm. other expenses. The underwater uh, vehicle's not cheap. Yes, that needs to be uh, modified a little bit, but uh, we might want to talk to him again, Alan. He's found $3 billion <laughs> worth of platinum in the See if just can hanging out in the ocean. And again, they have made a claim to that. And, uh, you know, that's going to be their $3 billion, apparently. Right. So you can find treasure, too. And, and we've talked about adventure, survival, um, high-tech, uh, exploring winds and currents this morning. But let's go back to treasure again. $3 billion, would that put you right, Alan? Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> that would, yep, be my favorite kind of bar to go to. You talk about a dream coming true. And we were talking about the Maine-built boats and uh, how many people in Maine are boat builders and work in the marine trades, about uh, 5000 or so, maybe uh, seven, $600, uh, $700 million worth. Here's an article in the Bangor Daily News, also from February 2nd. The Hinkley Company launches a brand-new $2.2 million 48-foot powerboat, and it is their new uh, model that they are marketing. They've sold 11 of them so far. Mm-hmm. Paula Page, our governor, was down for the uh, launching and maiden voyage. Um, the Hinkley Company laid off 90 people back in 08 and 09. They've hired uh, maybe 40 people back, and they are keeping in, in Trenton now 90 people busy for at least the next year and a half building the orders they have, uh, 11 of these uh, 48-foot uh, power boats. It's a jet drive. It's very low draft, only two foot seven inch draft. Mm-hmm. It's meant for uh, two couples in in quite uh, good good conditions for camping there. You know, um, two point two million dollars. You've got uh, two cabin layout, two heads. Uh, again, meant for uh, two couples. Uh, one they launched the other day had a flying bridge. Here's some of my favorite parts: four widescreen TVs on this vessel. <laughs> All right. They can all be independently programmed. You can watch wrestling in your cabin. I can I can play a video game in mine, okay? She can watch a soap opera up, and, and I think there'll be a big screen TV in each cabin, the main salon, and the pilot house. Um, at least one or two of them come up out of consoles and, and tilt at angles at the flip of a switch, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, satellite reception for everything. We have... Uh, Electric windows in the vessel. You don't open the window, you, you throw a switch. It's got LED lights underwater on the Holland Transom. Don't know much, too much about that. But uh, back to the big screen TVs, you know, uh, like say, hard camping. <laughs> 2.2 million. If you need one, the Hinkley Company's building them. You, you can find them. All right. So we're, we're packing it up for Boat Talk, aren't we? Yeah, we're just right about at the, uh, the final dock here. I have one quick uh, caller called in who has a question. Does anybody know about the dory being built in Castine Town Hall right now, in Castine Town Hall basement? You go to Castine. We'll have to check I'll that out. I'll down to Castine a fair bit, but not wait. I will check that out. Next month, we'll, get we'll back report to on that. Yes, we will. All right. Boat Talk happens the second Tuesday every month. And uh, BoatTalk.org the rest of the time. Thanks for listening. Yep. Support for Boat Talk made possible in part by Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for 30 years. Near the harbor in Camden. Gamble&Hunter.net. Support.